This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the Undaunted Women of Nanking, the wartime diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Shui Fang. On our first episode, we introduced Minnie Votrin, Illinois' own heroine of Nanking. This time, we'll begin with a biographical sketch of Sen Shui Fang, Votrin's humanitarian partner at Jinling College. Sen Shui Fan was born at Wuchang, Hupei Province in 1875. After graduating from the Wuchang Nursing School, she served at the women's hospital of the local Methodist church the first three years as its nurse and then as the administrator. From 1910 to 1922, Sen became the director of dormitory of St. Hilda's Girls High School in Wuchang. She was then named the principal of the high school's affiliated elementary school. In September 1924, Sen was hired as the director of dormitories of Jinling College of Nanking in charge of students' room and board. According to Mrs. Yenling Yun, a Jinling alumna, Sen was an exceptionally kind and responsible person. She made special efforts to keep the dormitories spotlessly clean and personally helped to sanitize the kitchen and utensils. She also served as the college's nurse Most of the students liked Sen very much and maintained close relationships with her. In November 1937, when the invading Japanese troops were marching toward Nanking, stories about their brutality towards Chinese people in the conquered areas filled the air. Most of Jinling's personnel fled the city. Sen, at age 62, courageously decided not to leave Nanking. She wanted to remain at Jinling to help Minnie Votrin, who had been reappointed acting president of the college, to protect the campus. Votrin named Sen to her three-member emergency committee. And now, the voice of Sen Shui Fan, as written in her diary. Wednesday, December 8th, 1937. Tonight, we went to the meeting held by the International Committee for the Nanking Safety Zone. None of the government officials were there. Probably, they all have left. The safety zone was established two months ago. Because Japan denied the need for establishing a safety zone in Nanking, it delayed its response to the request submitted by the International Committee quite a while ago. Later, Japan replied that it might or might not recognize the neutrality of the safety zone. Two months ago, 
the International Committee decided to establish the safety zone with or without Japan's recognition, but did not raise its flags at the boundaries of the zone until today. Tonight, when coming back from the International Committee, on the way, we saw many people have moved from the city south to the safety zone. Some of them could not find quarters to stay, so they slept on the roads. According to the International Committee's regulations, all the private residents in the zone should be available for borrowing or renting. The public buildings have yet to be opened to receive refugees. The city south and Shaguan are all on fire. Some fires were set by our army for the sake of strategy. Some started by the Japanese troops from outside the city. They have already reached Liushou Hill. We cannot help but open Jingling campus. We have decided only to receive women and children, but not men. Currently, we plan to receive 2,700 people, all told, only opening number 500, 600, and 700 three dormitories, in addition to number 300, 200, and 100 buildings. This is our plan. However, we have no idea how many will eventually come. Before long, as the Japanese launched air raids over Nanking, Sen assisted Votrin to pack and ship Jinling's valuable equipment and books to other, safer places. They sorted through all the college's papers and destroyed those that might later arouse Japanese suspicion. Sen successfully procured rice and other necessities for Jinling's staff in case there were shortages. Despite her heavy workload, she also found time to go to Sia Kwan, a waterfront district of Nanking outside the city wall, to attend to wounded Chinese soldiers. She also went with Votrin to the press conferences given by the Chinese nationalist civil officials and the representatives of the garrison commander to learn the newest developments of the war. Votrin appreciated Sen's companionship and wrote in her diary, November 29, 1937, At 6 p.m., Mrs. Sen went with me to attend the press conference. It is much better to have a companion, although men are very cordial. Sen was worried about Votrin's safety once Japanese troops entered the city and specifically made a Chinese dress for her in case of need. Votrin said in her diary of December 6th, My good friend, Mrs. Sen, has a Chinese garment made for me. I may need it in some phase of the turnover, so it is well to be prepared. Votrin fully trusted Sen. For instance, she taught Sen the combination of Jinling's vault, which contained the college's funds and valuables, so that only the two of them knew it. Several days later, they together emptied the safe and vault to hide valuables in a safer place. 
Now we return to the diary of Sen Shui Fan, Thursday, December 9th. Today all day, the artilleries are shelling continuously. Siren warnings from Liu Shou Hill have ceased to come. Da Xiao Chang is captured. Quite a few people come inside the city. The thundering sound of enemy airplanes and artilleries fill the outside. Inside, the crying of women and children. Most of these people originally resided on the fighting fronts. Some came from outside of the city, and all were driven into the city by our army. There are 4,000 refugees in Xiaguan. Most came from Wuxi and Chongyang. The Japanese troops have already occupied Chuyang. Originally, these refugees planned to enter the safety zone. Today, after being dispersed, they crossed the Yangtze River and proceeded upward by a railroad. Those who were unable to escape in time came to the refugee zone. They do not have beddings with them, but fortunately we have some. Number 500 and 100 buildings are fully occupied. Looting began in the city's south side and is in total chaos. Nothing is for sale on the streets. There are nine sections in the safety zone. We belong to the fourth section with Chen Fei Rong as the section head. I am in charge of its medical group. Chi Chao Chan and Pastor Shen are the heads of the third section and the leaders of the medical groups for all nine sections, respectively. In early December 1937, as soon as Jinling was designated as a special refugee camp, the emergency committee held a long meeting to plan for receiving the refugees. Votrin and Sen immediately led a small staff to clean and clear eight buildings on the campus to house refugees. They labeled all the rooms with numbers. According to their plan, when refugees came to Jinling, they were issued a room number at the front gate by the security guards and escorted to their assigned room by a teenage guide of the service corps. The corps consisted of Sen's teenage grandson, Huo Xiang, and five other teenagers on the campus. Immediately after the fall of Nanking, when the Japanese soldiers went on a rampage of committing crimes day and night, Votrin herself guarded the front gate, while Sen and another friend, Mary Twinham, pitched in trying to keep them off campus. After several days, when the incidents of rape intensified, more than 10,000 women refugees poured into Jinling. Sen assisted Votrin in managing the overcrowded refugee camp. She also served as the only nurse in Jinling and provided first aid to the refugees. She delivered babies and attended to the dying and was especially sympathetic to the miseries of the pregnant women in the stifling conditions of the campus. On Christmas Day, 1937, 
Despite the severe shortage of baking ingredients in the city, she managed to make cookies for the party given for the children and staff of Jin Ling. On February 16, 1938, Sen helped Votrin host a farewell party for John Raba, the chairman of the International Committee for the Nanking Safety Zone, before his return home to Germany. She regarded the German chairman as very capable and courageous, and even asked him to stay longer in Nanking, but he felt obligated to go. Later, when Votrin got some milk powder and cod liver oil from the International Committee, Sen instructed mothers how to mix milk powder and give the cod liver oil to feed undernourished babies. She also helped Votrin offer classes for school-aged girls and for destitute widows who had no job skills. Like Votrin, Sen worked tirelessly, but no matter how exhausted and terrified she was, she too kept a diary to record what she saw, heard, and personally felt and experienced day by day during this tragic time. For instance, one night, when she heard 12 young women being dragged out of Jinling by Japanese soldiers, she sadly entered in her diary, I want to cry. Another day, when she saw some of the middle-aged refugees shouting and fighting for the rotten apples and a small amount of candy given away by three visiting Japanese women, Sen became angry to death. She indignantly wrote in her diary that night, Those refugee women simply have no shame. They are low-bred. Even if they starve to death, they should not eat food from the Japanese. Friday, December 10th, from Sen's Diary. Today, number 700 building is fully occupied. People on the streets continuously move to the safety zone. The same has happened in the schools. No vehicles are available. So men, women, young and old, have to carry and peddle their own belongings. They cannot help but ignore as much as possible the thundering sound of airplanes and artillery. It is really tragic. All the new residential buildings are full with refugees. Some of them rent the housing, some simply move into the buildings. Several buildings in the new library of University of Nanking are occupied with refugees. Many tents are pitched on the campus ground too. They have more refugees than us because they receive both sexes while we only accept women and children. We do not allow cooking on our campus, so some refugees have food delivered to them by their families. For the few who have no food to eat, we feed them. In the morning, we provide waters for them to wash their faces and drinking water three times daily. For the few who have no food to eat, we feed them. In the morning, we provide water for them to wash their faces and drinking water three times daily. 
there are more than 1,000 refugees on the campus. So we're extremely busy with providing water and boiling water, delivered twice a day. Now we're prepared to set up a rice porridge kitchen directly outside the front gate. In two more days, it will begin to feed refugees with rice porridge. To feed refugees is a much easier task than the difficult problem of disposing of their waste. Some refugees, when fleeing from their homes, did not carry their portable jars with them. Although outside the yard, there are waste pits at four sides, which are for children's use. They release themselves before they reach there. Therefore, urine and waste are everywhere. Our Palestine buildings now have an additional color. Wrecked clothing and diapers are dripped on the windows and trees. Mr. Wang's kids and Guo Shang are led by Xue Yuling to serve in the service corps. They guide the refugees to their assigned quarters when the latter come in. Many people come, so it makes them very busy. We also assign the refugee boys to cleaning squads, four per building, with two each, upstairs and downstairs. Besides that, two workers serve as an inspection squad. The pound by number 100 building is becoming the place to wash portable jars and diapers. The pound on the side of the library becomes a place to wash laundry. Some people wash dishes there too. Sen started her diary on December 8, 1937, and ended it on March 1, 1938. Like Votrin, she hid her diary in secret places when the Japanese soldiers barged into the campus. Sen's diary is regarded as the only known eyewitness account on the rape of Nanking recorded daily by a Chinese national. Other accounts were recorded retrospectively. In May 1940, when Votrin had to return to the United States for medical treatment, Sen stayed at Jinling and remained there until June 19, 1942, when the Japanese army took over the campus to use as the headquarters of Nanking's garrison. She and other Jinling staff were forced to move out of the campus, but she stayed in Nanking. On August 8, 1945, Japan surrendered unconditionally. At the end of September, Sen represented Jinling in an effort to reclaim the campus from the Japanese authorities and participated in Jinling's rehabilitation, at which she worked heroically for months. On April 8, 1946, Sen submitted written statements to the International Military Tribunal for the Far East which conducted the Tokyo War Crimes Trial. In 1952, under the reign of the People's Republic of China, Jinling College became a branch of the Nanjing Normal University and ceased to be an independent college. Sen retired to her native Wuchang. She received no pension. Seeing Sen live nearly in poverty, 
Jinling's former president, Dr. Wu Yifang, arranged a monthly subsidy for her. At the end of 1964, Dr. Wu and Jinling alumnae invited Sen to visit Shanghai and Nanking. They took turns holding parties to celebrate her 90th birthday, invited her to stay with them, and accompanied her to see various places out of the past. Sen was very excited to be able to visit her beloved Jinling campus. Four years later, in 1969, at age 94, this feisty woman of great humanity and courage passed away in her native Wuchang of Hupei province. Thanks for listening. On the next episode, both Sen and Votrin lend their voices to describe Jinling College in the days leading up to the Japanese occupation of Nanking.